Welcome back, listeners, to another episode of The Spirit of Haggard. We are so excited that you're here. If this is your first time listening, we will encourage you to go back and listen to some of the amazing previous episodes as we bring The Spirit of Haggard to life. I am your host, Jody Lynch Findlay. You can find me at jodyspeakslife.com. I'm a speaker, facilitator, and podcaster, and we are thrilled to be back for another episode of The Spirit of Haggard, sponsored by Bymeda. Today, we have a special treat as we continue to uncover the spirit of Haggard and look inside the walls to find some of the greatest contributors to the legacy that is Haggard Equine Medical Institute. So we are here with Dr. Michael Spirito today. Dr. Spirito, I am so excited to have you on the podcast. I know that our listeners are anxiously awaiting a little bit more of your story. You've only been here for a short time at Haggard, right? Yeah, just a little while. Just a little while. So Dr. Spirito, we always start by asking you just to give us a little bit of that overview of your legacy, really, I have to say, when we when we talk with you. Tell us a little bit about your background and who you are, what you do, and where, you, where you're from. I'm from New, New Jersey, as most people can hear from my accent. <laughs> and I was interested in horses, and I went to work on a horse farm in Maryland and was hired as, as a, a veterinary tech by a well-known lameness uh, practitioner in Maryland named Dr. Ed Churchill. And I worked with Dr. Churchill for a few years, after which my sister was going to medical school in Italy, and I decided to join her in veterinary school there, as we have quite a bit of family in Italy. And I spent five years there in veterinary school, and then I came back and uh, took a job in New Jersey with uh, Fred Adams and Scott Palmer. Uh, prior to that job, I came down to Kentucky uh, with a, uh, a friend I had met through Dr. Churchill, Dr. Dan Hawkins. And Dan was here at Haggard working with Paul Thorpe in the surgery facility. So I decided I'd spend several months here prior to working on the racetrack, which was my my ultimate goal was to be a racetrack practitioner in New Jersey. And I fell in love with the environment here and worked and returned to New Jersey, did a, about nine months there to fulfill my obligation. And then I returned to the uh, surgery facility to help Dr. Thorpe and Dr. Hawkins uh, through the subsequent breeding seasons. Well, that's a very shortened version, right? So there's so many pieces and parts of that that I want to unpack. Um, now, as a fellow East Coast girl, my heart and soul also are home in Kentucky, but I'm from Maryland and have family in New Jersey. So we've got a little bit in common there. Um, so let's start there because I do think that it's just fascinating. Did you grow up around horses or how did that come about? No, I never was around horses very much. I lived about 10 miles from Manhattan and I had gone to the races several times with uh, 
friends of the family and seen trotters in Newark. Actually, there was a track in Newark, if you can believe that. Okay. And uh, they had trotters there. And I was, uh, you know, very interested in that. And uh, my my family has always been in has been in medicine. My dad was a, a surgeon and my uncles were surgeons. And uh, there were, you know, quite a, there was a big medical uh, push in my family. And my sister, as I said, became a doctor. And I, uh, my father wanted me to become a human doctor. And I just uh, would follow him around in the hospitals and never really had much uh, attraction to being in a human hospital. So I looked okay. for an alternative in medicine that wasn't human medicine and landed with horses. That's fantastic. I had no idea there was that much medical history there for your family. And you mentioned the trotters. That was going to be my next question. Knowing the New Jersey you know, scene really as it relates to horses, you said that ultimately you had a goal to return to racetrack medicine. And I wondered if that was really driven by a thoroughbred experience or a standard bred experience. Yeah, it was mostly standard breds at the beginning because Dr. Churchill was very well known with the standard breds. And uh, so having spent two years with him and in that interim, in that period, I also had a racehorse of my own that I trained and raced and uh, got to fairly intimately involved with the trotters okay. and pacers. And uh, there was a career path choice at that point, either to become a, a standard bred trainer or to become a veterinarian. So I decided that probably be best off being a veterinarian. So here we are 46 years later or whatever. And so was there any interest for you then in vet school in the States or you knew your sister was in Italy and you were destined to go to Italy? I think that's Yeah, it was pretty amazing. much, you know, it was a spur of the moment thing. And so we both just took off one July to, uh, to Italy and uh, spent three months learning a language in Perugia. And then we... She went to to school at the at the uh, Vatican Medical School. Wow! And I went to a school in Torino, which is in the north of Italy, surrounded by the Alps. It's a beautiful place and very interesting uh, experience, to say the least. I can only imagine to go to vet school somewhere where it's you're pretty new at the language and experience that. So tell me then about kind of the uh, community that you built there. Mentors, friends and peers, are, are those still some of the contacts that remain for you in the industry today? Yes, I still have. I have, you know, for many, many years, a great number of the Italian vets that were graduating from school would come and spend six months to a year here. So I have, you know, had a great number of uh, currently well-known veterinarians in Italy come through this clinic. So, you know, it keeps going back. There's referrals upon referrals upon referrals. So with our large internship program, have been able to foster a great uh, international uh, group of people who have been through this clinic and have had great experiences here and have enjoyed themselves. And we've maintained contact with many, many people over the 
whole world basically from I don't think there's a place where there's horses that we don't have uh, contact and because of this extensive internship program that we have and right now we have something like anywhere between 15 and 17 18 interns and they're from all over the world you can you know there's just uh, such a variety of people here and we tend to get people who are very motivated and interesting here so it's uh, quite an international community of interns and we enjoy that. It's uh, nice to have young people around that are motivated and interested in, and want to learn and want to pursue higher goals in equine uh, medicine. That is fascinating. Well, you mentioned, you know, and, and I always love to touch on your passion about interns and young people. And you're right, right? You know, Haggard does such an amazing job with that program, and you all really set a standard of excellence as it relates to educating the next generation. So you mentioned that, and and I'll spend a little time there, if you will, because we have so many listeners that are young people interested in pursuing careers in equine veterinary medicine. So what would you say to them today? You know, you talk about young people coming here, experiencing internships. If we've got listeners that are saying, I think I want to be an equine veterinarian, what advice do you have for them? I think you should find, you know, a lot of people get, get drawn into the graduating from vet school, go get a job, get as much money as you can. I really think that's a mistake. I worked for uh, six or eight months with no pay just to be able to experience the caseload and the variety that comes through this clinic. So whether it's here or at some other uh, high volume uh, clinic, I think that you can get a good 10 or 20 years worth of experience in a year internship in a place like this because you get to see so many cases and so much, um, so many different things that you wouldn't normally see in private practice. So if you're, you know, if you're working in a practice eventually with two or three practitioners, you're not going to see what we see. You know, we have a referral base. We have the largest referral base in the world. So as, as a result of that, there are the most complicated, interesting cases come through this clinic. And to be able to see that is worth, you know, it's, the, the, it's immeasurable, the, the worth to your experience base that you acquire by being a, in a clinic like this. So I think it's a wonderful experience. And even though it is fairly tortuous in the sense that it's, a lot of hours in the clinic, a lot of night work and all of that type of thing. It's a great experience because you do get the camaraderie of your other interns and you also get the experience and the caseload from some of the best uh, equine practitioners in the world at their specialties. You know, the medicine clinic and the surgery clinic combined are, are really a, a very special place and uh, we're very proud of uh, what we've developed here. Absolutely. I, I think that is tremendous advice for today's young person and that they're really seeking that. What do I do? And, you know, listeners, I would encourage you. We have so many previous episodes and we have looked you know, in depth at your externship opportunities and your internship opportunities. So that hands on education and how you choose to spend your time 
while you're in vet school. And then subsequently, you know, as you head out on your own, um, really valuable advice. Let's pause for just a minute to hear from our friends at Bymeda, our Spirit of Haggard podcast sponsor. Bymeda might just be the largest animal health company you have never heard of until now. Bymeda Animal Health's equine products have been trusted by veterinarians and horse owners since the 1960s where our Irish roots began. Bymeda is one of the largest producers of dewormers for horses like Equimax, Bimectin, Duramectin, and Exodus. World-renowned equine athletes rely on polyglycan, a patented formula designed to replace lost or damaged synovial fluid, and Confidence X 1% pheromone gel that reduces and prevents equine stress, to name a few of our branded products. We encourage you to consult with your equine veterinarian before using any equine products for your horse. Also, please visit buymedaus.com to learn more about our full product offerings and where you can buy them. So tell us then how you made, you know, the journey into surgery specifically. You mentioned there's a lot of history in your family on the human medical side, but you are an equine surgeon. Walk us through the path. Well, basically, I, I had always wanted, had an interest in surgery and having been with Dr. Churchill, I had an interest in lameness and in orthopedics and, uh, so when I came here, I just basically hung around the surgery department and Dr. Thorpe and Dr. Hawkins were doing the surgery. Uh, Dr. Davidson had recently retired. So I basically helped those guys out for several years doing basic for the listeners to understand at that time, we were the only full service 24 hour clinic in Kentucky. There were 50,000 broodmares in the thoroughbred registry at that time. And there were a lot of standard bred mares here as well. And then there was an Arabian farm in, uh, in Louisville that had 1,000 broodmares. And those mares were problematic in a, as a general group as well. So there were multiple opportunities for colic surgery every day because we were the sole provider of emergency services. So any given day, we'd be operating six to eight colics a day. You know, through the year, we'd operate well over 300 abdominal surgeries. So that's, you know, quite a heavy caseload. At the times, the surgical caseload was mostly colics, dystocias, joint ills, some chip fractures, you know, we stayed very, very busy with all of that because of the high number of broodmares that were here. That that work has transitioned now with uh, a lot more corrective leg surgery that we do, you know, with the uh, angular limb deformities and all of the chip work. We do a lot of arthroscopies here. For example, yesterday we had well over 20 horses that had arthro- arthroscopic surgery in, in this wow. facility. And some of those horses had two and three and four joints operated on. So you can imagine the, uh, the number of joints that were operated on in one single day in, in this facility. So um, that's where the, where the work has gone to a large extent. When I started here, there were two surgeons on staff. Now there's seven. So, we provide that in twenty four seven care, and uh, always have uh, 
a great number of experienced surgeons that can evaluate the horse and we collaborate almost daily. We show each other x-rays. We we speak to each other about our cases. So the, the environment here for, for us as surgeons is a really wonderful place because I get to bounce ideas off, off the various other surgeons here and they bounce ideas off me and we talk about the cases and come up with case management plans according to our group experience. And I think that is something that the clients get the benefit from because they get the best of multiple minds who have seen a lot of different things and a lot of different experiences. Yeah, absolutely. It, it really is fascinating. And, you know, as you take a tour at Haggard and you understand all that goes on here, especially in the surgery center and the caseload that comes through and the efficiency in which you move horses in and out and the number of cases that you see it it really is fascinating so you mentioned lameness you have a passion for lameness and confirmation now is that something that evolved in your career is that something that you knew from the beginning that you're that you were truly focused on lameness well yeah I, you know my experience was with lameness originally and i i think that's the it's a very interesting and and very important part of equine practice. I mean, most equine practice in general has to do with keeping the horse sound and mm-hmm. and having a sound horse that can perform at whatever level it's desired. So, you know, lameness is fundamental to equine practice. And beyond that, you know, the, the juvenile lameness, you know, seeing these uh, five-day-old foals that are lame, you know, that's, that's a whole different, practice from the horse that's a 10-year-old jumper or a two-year-old racehorse. Right. So there's multiple disciplines within that whole lameness environment. Yes. So there's a big spread in there that things that happen to these different age groups that you see in young foals have a have a whole certain group of pathologies. Then you move to the weanlings that have a certain group of pathologies, and then the yearlings will have their own problems, and then two-year-olds will have their own problems, and then the older horses will have their own set of problems. So those those problems overlap, but they're oftentimes quite distinct and special to that particular age group and discipline. Okay, yes. And then you also do a lot of sales work, right? And so how has the sales work for you evolved and how does that fit into your day-to-day surgery caseload? Well, when we started doing sales work, we used to go to the July sale in the 80s and it was just a big party. And we would kind of (laughs) look at the horses and maybe listen to a heart and scope one or two. And since then, it's evolved into a full-time job for some of our practitioners. And uh, I did a great deal of it in the in you know in the early years through the through maybe six or eight years ago and we uh we were instrumental in in getting the repository set up and how the repository is run the whole concept of the repository came from us and was uh floated to the keeneland people and 
they adopted it and it's spread all the way around the world. Right now there's a repository for any major sale, any place in the world, which is, uh, it's only logical, but it, it did start here. And because of the repository, then we, we do all these screening films on the, on the yearlings and the films on the weanlings. And, and we're able to uh, have much greater insight into the pathologies and to the development, developmental diseases of the horses because of the serial radiographs that we take now that we didn't used to take. I'm talking about 30 years ago, we didn't take them. Now it's routine to x-ray some horses two and three times. And you get to see how the, how the various issues that they have develop over time. And so we've gotten pretty good at helping the clients decide when and if to do surgery on the horses and what things actually are, what things actually matter to a racehorse and whether or not they should be operated on or not. And because we do such a high volume of it, we've gotten fairly good at it. So the cosmetics are very, very good, and the results are very good. So we're very proud of um, of the uh, accomplishments and the uh, and the level of expertise that we can bring to these problems, and uh, help the clients and the horses at the same time. Yeah, absolutely. I talk a lot about the standard of excellence in Central Kentucky. It's one of those things that I'm very proud of and to be here and to be a part of, you fall in love with that. And, you know, it is moments of awe oftentimes, whether you're at the sale or you're in the hospital or you're on the farm, but the level of care that occurs here is really second to none. So uh, that's fascinating to many who come here for the first time or haven't really gotten to experience it day to day. So I want to talk a little bit about mentors. I always ask about mentorship and community. And I think that that's really important to today's listener and people who are considering this as a career path, especially in talk about your mentors and how that has evolved. And certainly you are a mentor now, but I'd like to start with who your mentors were. You of course have mentioned Dr. Thorpe and Dr. Hawkins, but talk to us about a standout mentor or two and what that meant to you early in your career. I would say that, you know, those two, those two individuals were the most important to me as far as mentors. Dr. Churchill was for me, he set an example of what an equine practitioner should be ethically and uh, his scruples were very high and he was uh, very well known and uh, very well considered and you know when I came here Dr. Thorpe and, and I and Dr. Hawkins we got on very well and they set an example for me and I followed through as best I could and and I would say that those those two were, were mentors for me. And, you know, following that, I have really enjoyed the opportunity to mentor younger people. And even, you know, some of the people who have transitioned from here into private practice or university practice, I speak to people every week and offer, you know, my opinion, whether or not it's advice or not, but on, you know, various transitions in their lives and, you know, opportunities that they might, might have. I, you know, I help talk through a lot of those things with, with 
people from all over the world on a weekly basis. And I think for me, that's a very gratifying experience to be able to offer some advice from having been through a fair amount in my career. I think I do have a platform from which to advise other younger people and on all kinds of all kinds of issues relating to equine practice. So it's been an important part, an important thing for me, and it, it really keeps me interested in continuing to be here and to do this work. You know, people ask me every often, when are you going to retire? I'm like, <laughs> you know, why would I retire? I mean, I come here and I have community, I have camaraderie, I get to do some fun surgery, I get to hang out with some fun people. So, you know, it's not, there's hardly anything I'd rather be doing than participating in a surgery. So it's, uh, it's a lot of fun. And to be, to be able to mentor these young people is, you know, we have a very high placement with residencies. And so every year there's, there's uh, interns from here go into residencies. They go into other internship programs. They go into jobs in private practice. So helping them uh, find a foothold in these various places is uh, part of what motivates us and keeps us interested. And, you know, we're very happy when they do accomplish their goals. And, and if they don't accomplish their goals immediately, we're, we're there to help them in the subsequent years, writing recommendations and those kind of things and talking to the various universities or employers about the uh, about the candidates so it's it's been quite interesting and it's a lot of fun to be able to do that and i love that you are still here and answering that question when are you going to retire yeah. in the way that you are answering that question so tell our listeners dr spirito what year you arrived at haggard equine medical 1981 so 1981 so you've been here over 40 years You've seen a change or two along the way. Just a few. Just a few. And any standouts for you? What have been the most impactful changes in your tenure? Well, I, I suppose arthroscopy has been very impactful. The sales work, you know, with all of the x-raying and all that stuff has really changed the practice a whole lot. Uh, when we started doing all the x-rays before the sale, we used to do the x-rays all at the sale. And then there was all this litigious environment over the what was important, who had to pay for the surgery, if the surgery or or who's responsible for taking the horse back or not. Most of that's gone away with the repository. And as a result of the repository, there has been a big boom in the arthroscopic work that we do. So that has changed the dynamics of the practice quite a lot. Uh, the angular limb deformity stuff, Dr. Thorpe developed a single screw technique where we don't use, we used to use a staple to correct angular limb deformities. Then we went through a screw and wire. Well, both of those had higher complication rates and the cosmesis was not very good. So now we use a technique with a single screw. The cosmesis is excellent. The legs look great. They respond very quickly. And so we do um, a lot of of angular limb deformity work. And it's very gratifying because you can take a fold that is miserable looking, very crooked and make it into something that's useful. And so for the clients, it's a procedure that adds a tremendous amount of value because if you weren't to do that, you know, for example, you can take a horse that at one point would be 
nearly useless and make it very useful. And so if somebody's selling a horse or racing a horse, that makes a big difference if the legs work correctly. Because <laughs> if, you know, if you have a wobbly tire, you're not going to go too, too well. But if you have a straight tire and everything's balanced up, then the, then the, then the animal will, will, will thrive and be much more useful in whatever endeavor that it's involved in. I like that analogy. Yes. Let's take a quick break to recognize our Spirit of Haggard podcast sponsor, Bimeda. Bimeda might be the biggest animal health company you've never heard of until now. Bimeda's products have been trusted by veterinarians and owners since the 1960s when our Irish roots began. Bimeda is one of the largest producers of dewormers like Equimax, Bimectin, and Exodus. World-renowned equine athletes also rely on polyglycan, a patented formula that replaces lost or damaged synovial fluid in Confidence X pheromone gel, which reduces and prevents equine stress. Consult your vet and visit buymedaus.com to see where to buy. Let's talk then a little bit about challenges. So if, if we've kind of talked about the evolution and the major changes, our listeners always like a little bit of a peek behind the curtain, right? Of they are going to face challenges in this this career path, right? I call it a mission. If you choose to accept the mission of equine veterinary medicine, there will be challenges along the way. Are there some standout challenges that you can think of that you would share and say, do it? Well, you know, the the biggest challenge in equine practice is that you're basically on call for your clients more than you would be in small animal because the nature of the equine practice is different than small animal. In small animal, you have so many individual clients, whereas in equine, you've got fewer clients with more animals. So those people expect a certain level of attention that is not the same as you would experience or get with um, small animals. So there's, there's that that's a challenge. And that, you know, we've seen quite a bit of burnout in equine practice as a result of that particular challenge. For me, it never really is, has been that much of an issue. If somebody calls me, I pick up the phone, I answer the question. It's not, you know, it, it really doesn't bother me that much. And I, it, I suppose it is seen as a challenge, but really most of those people are people that I get along quite well with and it, it doesn't really bother me. You know, the night work is a challenge. You know, when you get called out at night, that's a challenge. That would be a challenge for me. I I am very solar powered. So I I always will say that night work would be the number one challenge for me. But it's not easy getting up, you know, two or three times in the night to come and do a colic or dystocia or fix a ruptured bladder on a fall or fix some ribs on a fall. You know, you're talking about things that if you wait on them, they end up dying. So we tend to treat them with uh, urgency. And uh, it's just part of it. So if you're interested in doing surgery, you're going to be doing some of those things. If you're not, well, then you, you know, do go into sport horses or something like that where there's not as much emergency work. So right. those, are, those are some of the challenges. You know, and the, for, for me, it's always been relatively easy. You know, the, the surgery part of it is challenging to learn the procedures, to, to get the procedures right, to... Some of the things we do are, are not are not terribly easy, but once you know how to do them, they're they're not that hard. So, you know, getting up to speed is a bit of a challenge. Okay, right. 
feeling as if you have so much to learn that you may never learn it, but it, you truly can learn it. It is achievable. Yeah. You just have to put in the time and, you know, and, and also learning things is good for you. You know, if you, if you stop learning and you, you know, I'm still, I learn every day. So if you stop learning, you stop living as far as I'm concerned. So you better, better keep learning, you better right. keep doing or else things are going to get kind of boring and we don't want, we don't like boring. That's right. We don't like boring. And then the word community, I think that that is something today that especially our listeners love to hear a little bit more about that. We don't have to do this on our own. You are not a lone surgeon here at Haggard. And so you talked a lot about the collaboration with your team here and outside of these walls. And so I think that that's important for our listeners to understand as well is through these challenges that you will face in the journey of becoming an equine veterinarian, you build an amazing community. Yeah. For example, you know, I have, I'm on a group chat with, with uh, five other people, one in, one in Brazil, one in England, one in, in uh, Netherlands, one in California, me. And so, you know, we, we, and, 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 a, and a fella in Colorado. So we, you know, we'll put cases to each other and and say, hey, what do you think? And, you know, we'll get opinions from people all over the world all the time, in real time, you know, put, yeah. put a case on WhatsApp and somebody in, in Brazil will answer me, yeah, I think maybe I would do this. And it's great to have that community of, of knowledgeable, experienced equine practitioners apart from the community that we have here, which I think is is second to none, really. The surgeons that we have here are great people and have, have wonderful abilities, and we share the knowledge here. So, right. you know, that's something that not every place can can have or say. Yes, and that there are very different um, clinics. You know, you're for anything from solo to Haggard, right. you know, one of the largest right. clinics in the world. So, you know really understanding. And I think that's the value that our listeners are seeing in this spirit of Haggard podcast is, you know, all of these different experiences coming together and making those choices and helping to understand what is important to me. What type of practice do I want to be involved in? Do I want to specialize? What are my internship opportunities, externship opportunities? So we love to hear a little bit more about each of your journeys uh, to arriving where you are today. So I'll ask the question, uh, your favorite day or moment or standout moment in equine veterinary medicine. You know, you've probably got a few to pull from. You know, it, it, it's funny. The, the You know, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't go and I, I wouldn't say that it was any particular horse or any particular day. It's just every day is a new day. Every day is a challenge to get the work done effectively, efficiently, and have everybody go home feeling satisfied that they had a good day, that they worked with other people who were happy and enjoyed their day. And and for me, that's the best day. You know, yesterday was the best day. (laughs) Yes. Because we all got, you know, we did a whole bunch of surgery. We collaborated. I collaborated on a surgery with Dr. Rogerson at the end of the day. You know, we had fun and we 
we had uh, we we operated a whole bunch of horses, and all the horses got up and went home, and everybody's happy. So that for me, that's a great day. That's a great day. And on the flip side, there will always be a challenging day. There's always bad days when a horse breaks a leg in recovery, or one of your cases goes wrong, or somebody gets hurt. You know, people get hurt doing this job. Yes. So. Those are bad days. Those are bad days. Yeah. So you have bad days, but in order to have a good day, you have to have a bad day because you can't have all good days. So, Amen to that. Yeah. I love that. So I want a little bit, you know, our listeners do love to hear a little bit about Dr. Spirito himself. So you love fast cars. I do. You love fast cars. Tell us a little bit about loving fast cars. Well, I have, I've always had a passion for cars. I've been working on cars since I was young. I always had uh, sports cars. I had a Porsche through vet school in Italy that I bought for $200 and, and put it together and drove a Porsche. I was my, the only person in my class was driving a Porsche. And it was beat up looking Porsche, but it was a Porsche. And since then, I've had quite a few different cars. So that's, you know, that's my, that's what I, I spend my time doing when I'm not doing this. I either work on my cars or hopefully race my cars. Fantastic. Hopefully I get a few more years of racing in. Before, that's right. Before uh, they make me quit. I have to ask those questions because our listeners, you know, not only do they want to know about who you are at the clinic mm-hmm. and in medicine, but you know, we've had so much fun learning a little bit more about everyone as a person. So you have family in Italy. Your wife is Italian. You've been in Kentucky now for 40 plus years and raised your family here. And you love fast cars. Anything else as we wrap up for our listeners in today's episode, anything that you want to share with the audience that we have that, you know, is just learning more about Haggard and learning more about equine veterinary medicine, what would you share with them as your parting words of wisdom? I don't know about words of wisdom, but I think that equine practice is a great thing. It's a lot of fun. It's a wonderful lifestyle, particularly in a place like Kentucky. That's such a wonderful place to live and, and, and raise a family because it's just lovely natural environment. So, I'd recommend the career to anybody. You know, I, I, I've, I've really enjoyed it. It's been good to me. It's been good to my family. And for me, it's a lot of fun. So, you know, as long as it's fun, we can keep doing it. Yes, absolutely. Well, with that, listeners, we will sign off from this episode of The Spirit of Haggard. Dr. Spirito, thank you for all your time with us today. And listeners, please don't forget, go back and listen to any of the episodes that you have missed. And you can check Haggard out online and on all your favorite social media. Find the Spirit of Haggard podcast on your favorite podcasting app. Thank you by Mita as our sponsor, and we'll see you on the next episode of The Spirit of Haggard. Thanks for tuning in to The Spirit of Haggard podcast today, sponsored by Bymita. I'm your host, Jody Lynch Findlay, speaker and podcaster. You can connect with me at jodyspeakslife.com.